On this episode of Citizen the Pod, the political plug and I chop it up about the squad, Trump's tweets, and all things politics. This episode was taped back in July, but the convo is still relevant. Stay tuned. Citizens, Patriots, voters, it's your girl, Kina Zantel. Welcome back to Citizen the Pod. Thank you so much for hanging in there with me. I haven't been doing too much this summer because just like all of you, I want to enjoy it. But there's just too much going on for me to sit on the sidelines and not have a few conversations with you. So today I have a special guest straight from LA like right off the road right out of the traffic ready to talk (laughs) smack to all of you about no one none other than y'all fabulous president that's y'all's president that's not mine 45 Um, so first let me introduce my guest I'm so excited to have him on here he is on Instagram, telling it like it is, putting everybody in their place. Um, let me introduce to y'all the political plug. Political plug, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. You know, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to, to talk. Uh, talk my. Are, are we PG thirteen on here? Not really. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk my shit. You <laughs> Uh, you know, every any chance I get to talk politics with with my my black people, uh, I definitely take advantage of it. You know, so I'm 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 glad to be here, and I'm ready. To, you know, get into it. Listen, woke white allies, this show is for you too. Okay, <laughs> like, right, right. We, oh no, for sure. No, we, no discrimination. Exactly. Y'all can get some. Exactly, we need them to be a part of this fight. Cause I just looking, I was looking at some numbers earlier today. After listening to the daily, and yeah, in order for us to take Trump out in 2020, we're gonna need y'all to decide where what direction this country is going in and go talk to your family about getting them to the polls and not voting for Trump again. So be, be a responsible ally. Exactly. Check your race. Exactly. So probably about a week or two ago. Donald Trump decides to tweet. Oh, gosh. You already know. Like, if I'm about to reference a tweet, it's about to go left. Or right, <laughs> or right, right, or alt-right, whatever. Right. So, he decides to tweet. This was on the 14th of July. 8 o'clock in the morning. So, he must have just stopped golfing for 15 minutes and decided to fit this tweet in. So, he writes... So interesting to see progressive Democratic congresswoman who originally came from countries whose governments are complete and total catastrophes. Stop. I'm going to stop right there. All three out of the four people he mentioned are American born. And yes, our government is a complete and total catastrophe under this president. But I'm going to keep going. Um, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world. If they even have a functioning government at all. I mean, we can't get any bills passed right now. So I would say we ain't doing too much. Functioning. We, definitely, we definitely had a shutdown. Right. So I guess I guess he's on to something. I guess he's right. For the first time in his life, he might be telling the truth. 
Tweet number two, ambitiously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came? One is from the Bronx, one is from Detroit, Detroit, one's from Cincinnati. So, I mean, yeah, Trump is from Queens and Manhattan. So, he grew up in the 70s and 80s in New York City. So, he's used to crime infested. Love y'all New Yorkers, but y'all know how y'all was back in the day. Yeah, um, he know though. Exactly. So, I mean, he may have been telling the truth about that, too. Um, then he goes on to say, then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. They can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi will be very happy to quickly work out tr- um, free travel arrangements. <sighs> so political plug. How did when you first heard about this tweet? How did you feel? What were you thinking? Because this guy is a job. My thing is, I'm no longer surprised by the racism. Uh, me neither. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so when I heard the go back, I mean, it, it, it when I heard the go back uh, comments, it was more so, it just took me back to when he first uh, introduced himself as, as a candidate. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, uh, you know, Mexicans are rapists, they, you know, they're this, they're that. For me, it was less about the state, like the statements that he was making, mm-hmm. and more how I felt of, uh, about the people he was talking about. Squad, I, I have much love and respect for Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, them two especially, but also you got you know, AOC and Rashida Tlaib, and which I mean, all all four of these women, trailblazers. You know, they you know they bucking the system, they challenging uh, the establishment. And I mean, they doing what the people who actually elected them in the office, they doing what they elected them to do. Right. And, and so for me, my number one thing is protecting their safety. Mm. And because we know that the, uh, the Trump base, they wild, they crazy. And it's a, it was a study done um, on the Trump effect that explained how in counties where Donald Trump has his rallies, there is a, uh, I think it's a, like close to 200% increase in hate crime in that county. And, and that's compared to the hate, and that's compared to not just the statistics before he came, but also compared to the uh, surrounding counties. You know, so, I mean, we, the, the Trump effect is real and it's dangerous. And so, you know, I, I, as much as we get caught up on the things that he say, we need to make sure we're protecting the people that, that he's calling out. Right. And I know that Nancy Pelosi has called for more federal dollars to go towards protecting the safety of these four women. And if folks don't know who the tweet was referring to, it was Congressman Ilhan Omar, um, who's already gotten threats against her life. Um, right. The same for Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, and who, who am I missing? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So these women have already been getting attacked because they've already become targets of the right, especially on the propaganda news network called Fox News. And his tweets and his continued 
um, attack on brown people and these four brown women, um, especially Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, we've seen how Fox News and Donald Trump mobilizes something ugly in this country. And he, he tries to continue to shortchange his ability to rile up hateful people. I mean, there was a guy who sent pipe bombs from Florida to CNN, um, President Barack Obama's house, I mean, Hillary Clinton's house, George Soros's house, and they've said he was radicalized on YouTube, and the person that made him feel like his attacks were okay was the directive of Donald Trump's. We've had a, a New Zealand terrorist who said that the, the best thing that ever happened to Western civilization was Donald Trump. So again, we know that white supremacy and white nationalist terrorist, terrorist attacks or ter- ideas of terrorism have grown because of this president's rhetoric. And he just continues to refuse to take heed to that. Like it just does not matter to him. I mean, yeah, he's he's not really incentivized to. Because, like, when you have, right. like, for example, the traditional political perspective is, uh, I don't want to alienate anybody because everybody votes. Right. Right. So, you know, so even when you have, even when you have, you know, Republican politicians who hold racist views, mm-hmm. they'll denounce racism, they'll denounce white nationalism, right? They they won't associate with them, themselves with, the, with that type of a radical racist perspective. And you saw that back when the Tea Party started to become relevant, and where mm. uh, the the what Mitch uh, not Mitch McConnell but um, what's his name? Uh, he was from Wisconsin. Boehner or Paul, Paul Ryan? Ryan. Pa- Paul, Paul Ryan. When Paul Ryan and um, Romney, right? When they, when they lost, mm-hmm. what, what you saw mm-hmm. was the Republican Party was telling themselves, "Okay, we need to have this reassessment, right? Why?" Why are people saying we don't like black people? We need to get more black people. We need to. I mean, they they had a an entire kind of like self reflexive moment once they uh, when the second time they lost to Obama, um, and right. it included it included challenging the perception that Republicans are racist. And you fast forward to twenty sixteen, right. and you see Donald Trump openly embracing that, and the right. difference was. I mean, it was kind of like a perfect storm. People hated Hillary Clinton so much. They hated the Clinton name so much. They were that Donald Trump was able to embrace these racist views, extremely low voter, voter turnout, and then and he mm-hmm. winning right. affirmed that I don't need to be reaching across the aisle. I don't need to try to seem like I'm more respectable to black people. I don't need. I don't need none of that. I got people right. who gonna rock with me. And as long as they feel my crowd, or as long as I have these large crowds, as long as I can look on Twitter and see people following and loving and sharing what I'm saying, you know, as long as I have that, that's going to keep me going in the direction that I'm going in. On top of the fact mm-hmm. that you have a Republican, uh, a Republican, well, most it was the majority for a while, but we're just having a, a, a Republican majority in the Senate that'll protect him mm-hmm. from any other repercussions that typically occurs when you have somebody that talks like that. So he, I mean, really, right. yeah, he really been, he, he benefits from the perfect storm of political apathy. You know, people being mad about Obama, people not really uh, fooling with uh, Hillary Clinton, and a sixteen-person field. 
you know? So right. he was able to embrace these things and still come out on top. So he sees no reason to leave that alone. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that you mentioned that because, you know, I think that that's, I think a lot of the political pundits are starting to understand like white working class voters had to make a decision in 2016. And the decision was, do I embrace someone that I dislike in order to continue to, um, I guess, to make sure that my own self-interests are being um, on the forefront of any candidate? Or do I decide to support Hillary Clinton, who has proven that one, she's politics as usual. She was not a perfect candidate. I was not a big supporter for her, but I knew that she was better than Donald Trump when it came to benefiting communities of right. color. Um, but, or do we support Hillary Clinton, whom I just don't like, and I don't feel that she understands me? Like, I guess it was an interview that I saw where a white man says, I know what Hillary Clinton is going to do for black people, but I don't know what she's going to do for the working white middle class. Right. I mean, it was one of, and, it was one of those things where it was, it was a, it, it was a cultural question, not a question of. Yes. Right. And, right. and so, you know, it, it, I'm not surprised. I mean, I was a little bit at first, but then I, I was like, not really. Because I felt like Donald Trump did enough to turn most people off, right? Like he was, he was just bragging. Right. I mean, he clearly had very little understanding of the, of the topics at hand. I mean, it was just a lot mm-hmm. wrong with him as a candidate. I mean, and and if, even if you look at Mitt Romney's numbers in the in the in the election previous, Mitt Romney would have beat both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And and so right. you see that there was a there was a a, a, a People felt dejected with just the choices at all. It was one of the, it was it was one of those instances where the two party system, its failures were highlighted in this type. In this type. Right. Mm. Yeah, and exploited because, as we know, that like you said, it was a perfect storm for the alt right. You know, there was already a Steve Bannon in existence who was already formulating a plan. To move a certain message, a populist message to the forefront of conservative politics. He knew the strength he had in Fox News and moving that message forward. He just needed, and he had the research to back it up. I mean, Cambridge Analytica was a real um, research and development firm that had already researched um, make America great again as a slogan in these communities on Breitbart. Like he was already building a, you know, alt-right base with the energy needed to elevate Donald Trump. We we know that. We've seen all the reports and all the research that says that Steve Bannon just needed the right candidate to pursue that message. So when, you know, Paul Manafort was moved to the side and they needed someone to step up and to run this campaign. It was Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway that came into the picture. A pollster and the head of Breitbart, which is an alt-right news organization that was even more right than Fox News. But he knew that he had the connections to be able to use Fox News and Breitbart to its benefit. 
So it was definitely a perfect storm moment getting him into office, but two years in and we're having direct threats against women who were duly elected citizens of this country being elevated to the highest level of our political discourse now being threatened by our president. And he just does not, he just really acts as if his words does not matter. I mean, the man, and that really boggles me. He, I mean, he said that you know he could shoot somebody on on what Park Avenue, and Broadway. yeah, Fifth Ave, I believe. Yeah, Park Avenue, Fifth Ave. That's all where the rich people. Right. He said, I mean, he said it. He, he said it. He, he could shoot somebody there, and you know he he still won't lose a point in uh in, in the polls. And, right. and and he's right. But I think as much as you know, as much as we focus on Trump, I think now that we have the squad. We have some, we have something mm-hmm. more that we can actually put our energy into to build up, because uh, mm. uh, uh, the Trump the Trump was made possible by people who were just completely against Obama, and it was right. like never Obama or not never Obama, but uh, it, it, like when Mitch McConnell said that he wanted his his goal was to make Obama a one term president, and if right. if Democrats adopt that same uh, mentality. And it's just like, well, we just want to be against everything, uh, not Trump. We're not going to, like, Demo- liberals, they're not going to win that battle. Uh, so right. These, these, the squad gives us something to be like, okay, this is the new standard, right? These, like, women of color with ideas, with understandings, with their community behind them. That's something to where we could say, okay, let's find more AOCs. Let's find more Ayanna Presley's. Instead of constantly spending, spending time discussing like i mean it's like calling a tomato red like we know mm-hmm. you feel me like we like every right i mean I've, I've i've talked about this for a while uh on my instagram is just that a part of what made donald trump powerful was that all publicity is good publicity and he knew that when you right. you're only spending a fraction of what the big boys are spending in in uh airtime but you're taking up 80 percent of the airtime you know, right. it's it, it's something wrong there, and it was it was kind of like a car right. crash. MSNBC, CNN, as much as they against Trump, they uh, empowered him because his message was able to be broadcast consistently, spread. Yeah, there's more people that that was able to hear it. So, what yeah. what what we need to do is we need we need to stop focusing on the tweets, stop focusing on the racism, and and not like leave it alone. But that can't be our that can't be our main objective. Like like what like what I do is I try to make sure that I'm not always just up there saying Trump sucks. We know that. Right. We know and, that. and the the way that we get rid of that, the way that we the way that we challenge Trump is to support candidates, right, that, that stand for what we stand for, that that have this similar visions from similar neighborhoods, similar backgrounds, that can that actually can represent a challenge you know, on Capitol Hill, like in the Senate, in the House, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, us right. us constantly, you know, going back and forth about, us constantly going back and forth about, you know, how, how much we think he's messed up is, is taken away from the time that we should be spending finding people and supporting people that actually can produce some type of change. Yeah. So a, a few things that you mentioned, that I'm wondering if we're ready for 
I think um, when it comes to like presidential politics and winning a national election, I'm not sure if the country is ready for progressives, so to speak. Like, and I'm, I'm, I, I, I understand the label. I get the label. Um, but you know, right now, like you mentioned, we don't command. We're not commanding the narrative enough to truly define like what a progressive is. So the Republicans have, and Donald Trump has done a good job because he has the bully pulpit because he's so brash because everyone always, you know, repeats what he says over and over and over again because of ratings. That's all that is. Um, they've been, they've been successful at, at branding progressive as socialist and making, and making the left the scary bad left. As if we cannot be, as if one, the left is a monolith, like we're all the same. Um, and two, as if we're not a group of like thinkers that can work across the aisle under this, you know, under that label, right? But as we've seen, the alt-right is not willing to budge at all when it comes to their principles, but they want to paint us as being exactly like them but they're good and we're bad um and i and i say that to i say that to say um on a national level if the dem the democrats are going to have a hard time because of the electoral college um at winning at winning nationally if we don't decide to get back a certain group of voters um, which is like that working white class from Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan. And at first, when we lost in 2016, I thought to myself, do we really need these voters? Because I thought the Obama coalition, you know, encompassed so much of, you know, people of color and energized us to the extent that we didn't need them. But now after looking at the numbers and the way the Electoral College places so much emphasis on the Midwest, I think it's going to be really hard for us to really win a national election if we move to the left. I don't even like saying fire to the left. If we just move to the left, left of Joe Biden. Right, right, right. Like, I understand. Left yeah. of Joe Biden is like it can can is not Bernie Sanders. Right. It's still a middle, right? Like because Joe Biden falls like to me right on the line. Um, so I mean, I guess we have this interesting. If we're gonna lose the Rust Belt because we're gonna choose a left a to the left candidate, then we've have to win the entire Sun Belt which would be North Carolina, Florida, Texas, Georgia, um, which we could, right, Arizona, Nevada, like we actually could take those states that were traditionally Republican right. just because they're becoming more diverse. But we would have to win them and probably still take Pennsylvania in order for a left candidate to win. And if we win in Pennsylvania, that means we're getting back working some working class, you know, college-educated white voters. Right. And I, I just feel like we might be struggling in that area if we pick the Bernie Sanders. Well, I mean, to be honest, I felt that way in 2008, right? Like, I felt like 
you know, I mean, just from the standpoint of it's a black man, that's way too far left. You feel me? Like at that time. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, when when you look at what made up the Obama coalition, we got to remember that Barack Obama in his second when, when he won his second term, that was the first time that a president had been elected without the majority white vote. So you don't so you mm. don't need the full majority. All you need is to actually inspire communities that typically don't get involved. So that's what you had with the, with the Obama coalition. You had uh, new college students. You had, you know, college educated white. You had uh, suburban white women. Right. You had there was a there was a it was a group of people that came together that typically didn't exist within the same voting paradigm. <laughs> and so what happens is. When we when we looking towards when we looking towards 2020, the question is who would invigorate uh, uh, different groups of people the same way that Barack Obama did. Now that's difficult. Like that's a that's a that's a steep hill. I mean, first black president, no controversy, beautiful family, right? Like that's like that bar has been set. But now we we've yeah. gotten to the point where now you know 2020 20, or 2019, everybody's like well, Obama was a moderate anyway. You know, he really didn't do this. Yeah. He really didn't do that. So the bar is a little bit higher now, right? But I do, I, yeah. I, I do believe though that if, um, it, I mean, with these candidates, it's tough to say uh, because Joe Biden is makes the most sense from an electoral standpoint. But the mm-hmm. question is, the question is, with this, if there's a new. Uh, actually, I, I I seen a report that that was explaining how. Uh, the the newer generation, these these new younger millennials that are just turning eighteen, actually, uh, right. uh, they are they're they're more they they're they outnumber uh, the baby boomers. They right. do. So so now, they so now the do. question is, okay, so how do we get these people? How do we get these kids to vote? How do we get these people out mm-hmm. in in, uh, in their neighborhoods? And it literally it, it literally starts with having the conversations that they haven't. Like I think for me. As much as I'm not really uh, the the Democratic Party is just like eh to me right now, especially yeah uh, to me. But Elizabeth Warren. Now I'm I'm saying Elizabeth Warren. We I'm I'm pretty sure we're gonna talk a little bit about Kamala, but Elizabeth Warren to me stands out the most for the simple fact I'm trying to get rid of these student loans. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So it's like okay, we don't have the character, we don't have the the personality. Right, the celebrity in terms of um, invigorating a younger, more diverse base, but it's certain we we are now getting to the point where we're more issue voters. We're like so on on the question of student loans, on the question of healthcare, on the question of uh, of uh, uh, medical mar- or not even just me- but re- marijuana in general, on the question of uh, policing, these type of things. Mm-hmm. Are issues that could that could invigorate younger voters, but it's, it's it's you walk in a fine line because you have the possibility of alienating the older uh, the older more um more consistent voters. Right. So it's like so. Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm just gonna say. So it's like the, like do we wanna do we want to take the chance and say okay this is the person that we're gonna get behind um that's outside of the box that's I mean, who cares? You call them socialists or whatever, but they they are on that the farther to the left in terms of their progressiveness 
or do we want to go with the tried and true like Joe Biden and and see, you know, if if Joe Biden is enough, it is it, moderate enough for people to be like, well, I guess we can we can, we can go back a little bit to the left, even though I voted for Trump in this yeah. last election. So it's, it's risky. It's risky. Right. It is risky. And um, so on my, on my previous episode, uh, we spoke about uh, the Democracy Rising study that basically showed that young voters of color are energized to vote and to participate um, and participate in the voting process more or just like, and, and you know, participate in their communities more when it comes to issues of race. So that's criminal justice reform, that's marijuana legalization, that's policing. So, you know, it, if we're going to have that conversation with any candidate that's running for 2020, they need to have a strong criminal justice, economic justice platform in order to even energize those voters to support them. And I think that you know, the narrative that Joe Biden can say, well, I was the vice president under Obama, you should vote for me, or the first black president, you should vote for me, is not going to be enough to engage those voters to vote. And then on the flip side of that, you mentioned Kamala, and eventually we're going to have to question her on her record as a prosecutor in California. Um, Which has been thrown out there. I voted for her in the Senate, so. (laughs) Okay. I mean, listen, I'm not at the end of the day, when it comes to black people, we always want to see black people. Exactly. I see. So we might be able to, right. Yeah, you got it. You know what I'm saying? So we might, you know, we might have some issues, but as long as they're a Democrat, hey. we we will hold you to account once you get in office. But just like when we watching the Oscars and Issa Rae say, oh, I'm just here to, to, to make sure black people win. That's how we feel in all. In right. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm not even mad at you for voting for her. <laughs> but her record is going to come out. I mean, Joe Biden threw a jab today at Cory Booker about, you know, the, the police issues that he had when he was mayor of Newark. Um, Pete Buttigieg is getting some hail from the fact that he just had a police-related shooting for an unarmed black man in South Bend. Um, So all of them, especially if they've served in any executive level seat, like, right, you either have to have a long record like Joe Biden, like, literally been in the Senate since the, what, the 70s? Oh, longer than that. Um, Right. And, and or if you've ever served in an executive leadership position. So if you were ever a mayor, if you were ever a governor, um, then you had a direct impact on policing or criminal justice issues for the people of your state. Those are records that we can pick at. So and everybody's not going to have that. If you've only been a senator, then you don't you don't have that record to pick at you. You are you are a legislator. You are you are far removed from a lot of the everyday issues that happen in your state. Um, and I think that's where Elizabeth, you know, if Elizabeth Warren was ever a governor, I feel like we would have issues to to play, you know, to dig at her for. But I like Elizabeth Warren, and so far she's had a plan for everything, and she's smart. 
And I mean, at this point, I would love to just have a smart president. Like y'all don't have to like her, but she's smart. right. <laughs> yeah, I, like she's not gonna make. No, I was just gonna say. I think. Uh, I think she. I think her passion and her kind of anti-establishment stances is what kind of sets her apart from Kamala Harris. I mean, I do see a lot of conversations yeah. surrounding Kamala does have a lot to do with um, her. People call her the police, right? Like she had mm-hmm. her issues with. Um, with uh, uh, truancy and how she criminalized. I mean, now, of course, she got her spin to it on why, you know, she did what she did. But at the end of the day, you criminalize truancy. You see, and right. which is, I mean, when you criminalize things in, in, in black neighborhoods, or when you criminalize things in general, black people usually end up fitting the description. So with mm-hmm. that, I do think there are, I, I think that there is some things that she has to answer for. However, I do feel that she, she played a role. Right. Like, I mean, if you put anybody in that position, you know, when you're the top cop, it's kind of hard for you to be uh, as progressive as you would want to be, because especially mm-hmm. being a black woman, she had more to prove. And I think that's where and I, I think that's where she's not getting enough, um, getting enough slack is that like what we say about black people all the time is that, you know, the, the spotlight is always on us. We always have to work 10 times harder. We always have to. Right. Early, we got to leave late in order to be as impressive as our lighter skinned colleagues. But mm-hmm. when you're a black woman, especially in like a legal field or a political field, the that 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 uh that bar is set even higher. And so I I do felt like in order for her to be in her position, she had to play the role to uh you know in in a way where she was able to be legitimized. Because and, and mm. I'm, I'm not bringing this up because I'm trying to like poke in her personal life, but her previous relationship, but I think it was like the mayor of uh, San Francisco, somebody, mm. somebody of power um, that she was romantically involved with before she was with her husband, that uh, people accused her of getting her first position in government because of him. I've heard you know, and so from that, and then even he kind of came out and said some sleazy stuff in the paper, um, and and because it's about her personal life and it's, it was a little salacious, I left it alone. I really haven't looked that deep into it because, like, you know, she's married, you know, so out of respect for her marriage, out of respect for right. as a woman, we shouldn't like too often we get caught up in in trivial shit when it comes to women that I, I I didn't dig too deep into that. But what I did take away from that was that. She felt it could be. I can't speak for her, but it could be that she felt that she needed to be taken serious because of the doubts that yeah. were surrounding her, and so she did push the envelope a little bit further than we than we're comfortable with. And although that although that's no excuse, I and there is a level of understanding there. Like Elizabeth Warren can be that radical, you know, tear everything down and do this and do that because she white at the end of the day. And I mean, and that's and that's just the reality right. of it. And so I do, um, I mean, it's, it's other things that kind of concern me about Kamala outside of just the, the, the cop shit. But, uh, I mean, I kind of, I give her, I give her a slight pass because I mean, I'm trying to go into law. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. you, it's, a, it's a, I mean, and I work in a law firm now and I, and it's a certain way that you gotta be because I'm the, uh, well, we actually just, they just hired a black attorney not too long ago, but ain't no other black people. When I first got there, um, as a as a uh, legal as as legal support, I was the only black person that worked for the firm, and, and, and mm. so when you in those type, I mean, being in politics in general, I'm sure you 
I'm sure you're aware as well that, that it's, it's yeah. a white game. And and then when you and then on top of that, black people don't believe that they're supposed to be a part of the game anyway. Like a lot of, a lot of mm. videos that I do uh, on Instagram is challenging the perception that politics is white shit and that's the white people and it ain't gonna make a difference if you vote for this person or vote for that person and so you know when it comes to how how we move in 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 them uh in, in those types of circles it's it's a little mm-hmm. i mean on the outside looking in yeah we could say yeah she, she was the police and this this and the other but i mean in order for her to be where she is we couldn't even say that there was a black woman running for office if she didn't legitimize herself as somebody to be taken serious and you know some some niggas had to go to jail for that i'm sorry like, is it okay if i use that word <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, look because you see oh you see on my videos i'm a little i'm a little bit more uh a little loose but i, I you know i don't want to disrespect the platform uh, no go ahead uh, be yourself but but yeah so it's like you know she had to do what she had to do and we can we, we can blame her i mean we could Say what we say about it, but that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. So, right now, I think that there are a lot of young people, and frankly, I just feel like there's also just a lot of black people wondering, like, we we know this president is racist. We've seen these attacks against these four women. Um just how do we create a space in this political discourse that allows us to be supportive of each other and these four congressmen as we ramp up for 2020? Like, should we be, you know, donating to their campaigns? Should we just become more aware of who they are? Um, and have those conversations with our families to engage them? What do you think is like an actionable item for people who are just trying to figure out what is their place in all of this mess? Man, that's like the, that's the million dollar question. Uh, I think for me, it what I, well, what I would suggest to people is that it literally starts with understanding who's out there. Like you, gotta, you, you gotta learn. Right. And, and, I, and I feel like that's like that's an uphill battle. Like, but you you have to. You have to understand, like, what's at stake. And it, and it starts with knowing who's out there fighting the battles that, that we fight. And it's not hard. You know, we can we got, mm-hmm. our phones give us access to the world. So, you know, if we want to fight, if if we feel like there is no politician that I know of that, you know, doesn't that that. I'm a, that I'm attached to that that uh, inspires me. Find them, right? Like it's right. the thing about the the voting process is that it's not just about casting a ballot. And it's and you know, like you said, you, you can support candidates. You can support candidates through you know the donations, uh, you know, sharing material, talking to people, all of that. But to me, I think it starts even before that. Like we actually have to start advocating. And, and supporting people who come from our communities that look like us and yeah. put them in a position, right? Like, if, if if you look up at the presidential election now and see, damn, I don't want to vote for none of these people. The question you got to ask yourself is, why did I wait till now to decide who I wanted, right? Like, you have people, like, you have city council people, you have, you know, like, your, your uh, local politicians, you have 
state mm-hmm. politicians. You have people who are putting them putting themselves out there, but because of whether it's who they where they from, what they look like, not having enough money, because of these things, they they don't get the push that these other people get, right? And, and right. the way that the Kamala gets on stage, or even the Barack Obama gets on stage, is that they end up fitting within the political paradigm, the mainstream political paradigm, to where they're like, okay, you fit the role, let's lift you up. But the people that's lifting mm-hmm. up these candidates, aren't they're not the people that look like us, right? Like it, mm-hmm. It's the people who it's the people who we're saying we don't like in the first place. It's the people that we're saying, um, we're saying that these people don't have our interest in heart. So why are we allowing them to pick our candidates? Like voting right. should be a grassroots effort. Like to, and, and talk yes. about actionable effort, uh, actionable items. It starts with community organizing, working with like-minded people, talking to like-minded people. Like start there. It doesn't require like uh, a, a large influx of money or any extremely difficult effort, right? Like social media, the information age, it gives us the ability to organize and also disseminate information fairly easy. So it's, it's not even like we need to like uh, meet up at a, at a uh, community center and have everybody sit down and talk like that. Nah, it's, it's as simple as, it's as simple as finding like-minded people who share, who, who share similar concerns and goals and then amongst that, those like-minded people, I mean, essentially what we would consider a think tank, mm-hmm. amongst those like-minded people, uh, you know, come up with a come up with a candidate and things that we want, and then get other people involved, right? And and the thing about democracy is that it's not going to be everybody. That is, it is, it's not going to be one group that all black people are going to associate with. One group that all black people uh, are going to end up voting for. It, it requires like smaller pockets in many places, all working towards the efforts of their particular communities. And so once we once we understand that it's it's organizing that co- that comes before voting, um, then then we're then we'll be able to do more to have people that represent us that look like us um, to put them in a position to be uh, elected. Yeah. Well, I am really grateful that you took the time to have a conversation with me about the squad. And this crazy notion that we don't belong here. Um, I think that there's going to be so much more that this dude at 1600 Pennsylvania, you know, Avenue is going to say that is going to um, discourage us, but hopefully motivate people of color at the same time um, to, to get out here and do what we can to definitely have an impact on 2020. I think what you're doing on Instagram is awesome because you are keeping it real. And I think that my listeners would love to hear more from you. So where can they find you on social media and start to just, you know, listen in and tune in and see what happens? Well, of course, like you said, uh, Instagram is the main platform that I utilize. Uh, but I do have, oh, and you can find me at the political plug on Instagram. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. My page is the political plug, and I actually just started my uh, my YouTube, and you can find all my past videos as well as my uh, the, my more recent videos um, on YouTube, and that's also just the political plug. 
Um, I mean, I actually just dropped a video today talking about the, uh, the Mueller hearings. So y'all go check that out. Let me know what y'all think. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad. I'm, I'm I'm really honored that you asked me to be on your platform. You know, to share uh, to share what I think with your audience, and uh, hopefully in the future we could link up again and and uh, keep this going. We definitely will link up again because there's so much more we didn't get to talk to. We had some technical difficulties, but we worked with yeah. them. My apologies, and I and all that traffic, that LA traffic is no joke. So please excuse me. <laughs> I don't have to deal with that yet, but soon <laughs> come, soon come. I'm sure I'm trying to run from this winter weather. So hopefully, I'm in a major city near everybody soon enough, Ooh. or at least a good airport that can get me to where I need to go quicker. Right. <laughs> um, but listen. Listeners out there, you know my spiel. If we can send a hundred thousand men and women to war, we can send a hundred thousand men and women to vote. We That's can dope. organize, like the political plug said, and use all of our anger and energy and dissatisfaction with what's happening in Washington to really move some things forward and in a direction that actually fits the principles of this country. So this was Citizen the Pod. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all of you. And you'll be hearing from me sooner than later. What's up, citizens, voters, patriots? It's your girl, Kina Zontel. And if you want to know more about me and the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Kina Zontel. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Kina Zontel. And hit subscribe on all the podcast platforms that you're listening to the show on.